As many of you know, we have three children, my wife and I. But what you may not know is our eldest is very righteous. He is the moral conscience of our family. He would get very angry at us, his parents, for not punishing the other two children as severely as he thinks they deserve. He thinks his younger siblings get away with everything, and so jokingly we call him the third parent in the family. He gets very frustrated when as parents we show grace and mercy to his younger siblings just as we would show grace and mercy to him. But he wants us to discipline his siblings in a certain rigid way. I'm sure if you have multiple children in your family, you have one of these children in your family, the righteous one, the third parent, often it is the eldest. But in many ways, uh, you and I are similar to someone like this. Because when we look at how God adjudicates His justice upon others, especially those who have wronged us, we get very angry when, from our perspective, it seems that God allows sin to go unpunished. In fact, we want to take on the role of being God. We want to take on His responsibility. We want to be God's arm of retribution. And yet it frustrates us because not only do we not have that right, we are incapable to do what we want to do. As we continue our sermon series entitled Love and War, as we study the books of Nahum and Habakkuk, we finished Nahum last week and now we begin our study in the book of Habakkuk. Here in this book, God will deal with this very question because he had a righteous prophet named Habakkuk. And from this prophet's perspective, God seemingly allows sin to go unpunished. And for him, it is very unfair. How does God answer the prophet Habakkuk? That's what we want to take a look at this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. If you're new to the Bible, it is towards the end of the Old Testament after the book of Nahum. Now, as you're turning to the book of Habakkuk, if you remember from our previous study last week, Nahum was a book that prophesied against the Assyrian Empire. Habakkuk will deal with another future invader of Israel, the Babylonian Empire. You see, the prophets Nahum and Habakkuk and even Zephaniah were all contemporaries. They all lived around the same time. Habakkuk lived in the southern kingdom of Judah, a kingdom that was on the decline after the death of King Josiah in 609 B.C. And with righteous King Josiah's death, the southern kingdom of Judah became increasingly corrupt, more immoral, and there was a fear that was rising amongst the people because the enemies were at their borders. And so under the reign of Josiah's son, King Jehoiakim, they began to look for natural allies. They began to look in the wrong places, trying to ally with the Egyptian kingdom, and ironically, even the Assyrians, to strengthen themselves against the rising Babylonian power out to the east. 
when instead the Jews of Judah should have been trusting the one true God and look to Him for their help. Now what's unique in this book is that unlike other prophets who declared God's message to the people, what you have here in the book of Habakkuk is a dialogue. It's a conversation between the prophet Habakkuk and God and it is captured in this book. And while the other Old Testament prophets proclaimed divine judgment, Habakkuk was pleading for God to act for God's divine judgment. You see, what concerned Habakkuk was that the Lord God was not seemingly doing anything about the morally corrupt generation in which he lived. He saw internal injustices. There was evil in the land, and he wanted God to act. And he begins to imply that it contradicts the very nature of God, who was just and righteous, that he would allow sins to go unpunished. It seemed to Habakkuk that perhaps God's character and actions were inconsistent with each other if God did not act. In the same way, this is the cry of the Christians in our generation today. Why, God, do you seemingly allow sinful men and women to go unpunished? Because in our view, we want God to zap them with lightning every time they raise up their fist against God. We want God to act with impunity and to wipe out all those who are doing evil. We want a God, in fact, like the God that is described in the book of Nahum. And we want Him to act now. God will answer Habakkuk's question in the most unique of ways. And God will explain to Habakkuk that He is going to use the Babylonians to solve His question to answer his problem. And in doing so, it will reveal something very interesting about how God operates and something we need to be reminded of. And so let's study the first of these two main questions that Habakkuk has for the Lord in the book. We'll pick up the second question two weeks from now after Easter. Look at verse 1 and 2 of Habakkuk chapter 1. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, How long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Habakkuk's main question is twofold. And it reflects the thought that many of us have today about God when he does not seem to act. In verse 2, it is a question of, Lord, are you listening to me? How much longer do I need to pray before you will act? How much longer do I need to cry out before you listen to me? You see, for this prophet, God's seeming inaction seems to indicate that he is not listening. In fact, Habakkuk tells the Lord, I have told you, Lord, that there is violence happening in this land. Violence. Injustice. I've cried those things out to you. And the Bible said, you don't seem to move, God, in any way. You're not doing anything. Now, I want you to step back and understand that God is an omniscient God. That means He is all-knowing. God has heard the prayer of Habakkuk. But from the perspective of this prophet, it does not seem that God is listening 
to his cry of desperation. It is no different today. It is the question we ask in our generation. God, are you listening? I have told you what I'm going through. And yet it does not seem that you are acting in any way. Perhaps you are telling God that you are being oppressed. Perhaps you've told God as a young man or young woman that you're being bullied at school. Perhaps you've told God that you have had men and women in the business world treat you unfairly and unjustly. They are unethical, God. I've told you, God, these things, and you don't seem to care, do you? What does God's seeming silence tell us, especially when we see, perhaps ironically, the Heavenly Father telling us to pray without ceasing? Why should I pray when you are not acting, many of us, many of us ask today? Some of you have been waiting and praying for 10 years 20 years, 30 years perhaps. And you are still waiting for that prayer to be answered. And yet it does not seem that God is listening. You are a parent who have been pleading with God to bring back their wayward child. You are a wife who is pleading to God to bring back your husband, to correct him. And you're frustrated, as I would be frustrated, That out of our heart's cry, God isn't seemingly doing anything. You've asked for resolution to conflicts, and yet there are no resolutions, and they haven't come for years. Now you begin to understand the frustration of Habakkuk, the prophet, when he asks God, do you not hear? Habakkuk continues his cry to the Lord. Look at verse 3 and 4. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Habakkuk wants to know why God would allow immorality, destruction, unethical practices, and evil to continue in the land of Judah. And he has to witness it firsthand. And he's told God. In fact, it's worsening. It's getting worse. The evil and the sinful condition is worsening in the land. And all the while, God doesn't seem to mind or care or take action. In fact, Habakkuk tells God in verse 4, because of your seeming inaction, people are no longer obeying. They say, what's the use? Why should I obey the Mosaic law? God isn't doing anything. There's no justice even in the courts. And the wicked people seem to overwhelm those who seek to do what's right. Habakkuk is implying that the world is what it is Because God is not taking a more active role. My friends, it's a question we even ask of God today. Especially when we've been wronged. Especially when there has been injustice against us. Why, God, do you do nothing? In fact, our non-Christian friends laugh at us. They say your God seems powerless to stem the tide 
of evil doings. Why should we trust your God, they laugh, when he doesn't even seem to help his children in any way? You see, if we were to put the question posed in verses 1 to 4 together, what you have is the main question that Habakkuk is asking God. God, why do you seem to allow sin to go unpunished? You don't hear our cries for help. You don't act when evil practices occur and it's getting worse. Doesn't a God who is righteous and judge have an obligation to act? And we're going to find out later in the book that Habakkuk is not the only one asking God this question. Many of the righteous men and women living at that time were asking God and praying to God for the very same thing, just as we do today. Well, let's see how God answers Habakkuk's question. And he'll do so in verses 5 to 11. He replies with two principles. Let's see God speak. Look at verse 5. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astonished, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. God answers Habakkuk, and he tells Habakkuk, you who are asking this question, you need to broaden your scope. Look beyond your own nation. Look among the nations and see what I'm doing. You see, my friends, we have a tendency oftentimes when we have problems in life to look insular, to look at ourselves. We don't look beyond our own problems. And so we don't see what God is doing apart from our own life. Because perhaps God is using other people, causing events to happen, using circumstances to help us deal with our present problem. And because we don't look beyond ourselves, we don't see God at work. And God tells Habakkuk, when you do look, you will see something truly astonishing, and it will surprise you. You see, Habakkuk was told that even if I were to tell you what I'm going to do to help you solve your problem, you would not have believed me. What was God trying to tell Habakkuk in verse 5? He was saying, you do not understand my ways. And that's his first answer, number one, if you're taking notes. God's ways are often incomprehensible, not understandable, and unexpected. God's ways are often incomprehensible and unexpected. There is an implied answer to Habakkuk's question. You don't understand what I'm doing, and therefore you do not have a right to question whether I'm doing anything or not. And don't you think that I'm not listening? And don't you think that I'm not acting? I am at work. You, Habakkuk, simply do not understand what I'm doing. And this is a theme, in fact, that is perpetuated throughout Scripture. You remember what the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9? Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
God is saying, what I do is beyond your comprehension. It is unexpected. Let me ask you this. Can any of you explain why God does what he does? Can any of you? When you look at life, and you see that he calls home to heaven someone young and healthy, but God allows someone with very bad health habits to live a very long life. Can you explain that? Can you explain why God would allow a lazy person and give him good luck to win the lottery when he allows an honest, hard-working man or woman to have his warehouse burned down? Can you explain that? Can you explain why God allows certain countries to have amazing leaders in your mind and allows other countries to have leaders that are despots? Do you ever wonder why God allows a certain person who does not deserve this to succeed and one who's done nothing to deserve anything allow that person to be blessed? Here's what you and I need to understand. We cannot understand what God is doing. You know, the scriptures never tell us that we are to know His ways. We are to fully understand what God is doing in the world. In fact, in Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, He tells us the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. There are things that God holds close to His chest that He does not reveal to us. He does not intend for us to understand what He does. Because God, my friends, does not owe you and me an explanation for why He allows certain things to happen in your life. And I think that we've forgotten that in our generation today. We put ourselves on a pedestal equal to God. And so we expect that God explains to us everything that He is doing or not doing to our satisfaction or we're going to be angry at Him as if we have the right. My friends, He is God. We're nobodies. Just like when a child asks their parents questions. How many of you as parents have ever told your children, you won't understand? You won't understand. Just, just trust me. Just accept what I say. Especially a young child. You know they haven't reached the point of maturity. Just trust me. Just trust us, your parents. You are too young to understand. And what's the response? The response is never, okay, I trust you. The response is usually, I want to know. You better explain to me. And so it's so funny in our generation today, the parents today are not the parents of a yesteryear. The parents today are explaining to their own frustration every decision they make to justify it to their little kids. And then you wonder why your children grow up to have a mind of their own when a previous generation just simply says, be quiet and sit down. You better accept what we say. Our generation today, young and old, has forgotten that God is God and we are not. And there are things that He does that we will never understand, but we can trust Him because what foundations that decision is an eternal love, an unconditional love. And yet when he moves in the world, 
we may not understand. When people find out I grew up in the U.S. or have an American citizenship, my dual citizenship, they ask me this question, and they ask it often, especially in today's current climate. Pastor, why do you think Donald Trump was elected as president of the U.S.? They ask me if God institutes government, as Romans chapter 13 verse 1 tells us he does, why would God do something like this? Was there no better a person qualified to lead America out of the 400 million people that live there? I think many around the world have been asking that question. And my reply is, I have no idea. I have no idea and neither does anyone why God allowed Donald Trump to be president of the U.S. of A. Of all the people God could have chosen to lead America, he chose him. God sovereignly chose Trump. And so my responsibility, as we all have the responsibility, is to pray for our government officials. But sometimes I allow my mind to wander and I try to guess at why God would allow something like that to happen. And sometimes I wonder, maybe did God allow Donald Trump to be president of America to punish America for years of rejecting him? Or perhaps it's part of God's Grand prophetic plan, since in the books of the Revelation and of Ezekiel, there is no mention of America as an end-time world superpower. Maybe the decline of America begins with the presidency of Donald Trump. Or perhaps on a more positive note, perhaps Trump was elected to make sure that America would keep from slipping further into moral degradation in the courts as Trump has the audacity to appoint socially conservative judges on the bench to protect the rights of the Christians, or maybe even both. Or maybe, as I thought recently, maybe it has nothing to do with America, and God allowed Trump to be president so that countries, beginning with America, would move their embassies from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, something that previous presidents said they would do, but never did. And so you ask me why God allowed Trump to be America's president, and in quite full honesty, I have no idea. So I have to be content that with every horrible thing he does and every horrible thing he sends out by tweet, I have to remind myself, Lord, I do not understand your ways. I do not understand your ways, but you know what you're doing. And perhaps you are thinking the same thing of our Filipino president, Lord, I do not understand your ways. It is not a political statement. It is a reminder of truth that in our world today, the things that are happening may not be understood by our limited human minds. So when you and I begin to wonder why God doesn't seem to act in your life, then look at your life beyond yourself and see that there is an unseen hand that is moving in your life whose unexpected ways are beyond your comprehension and my comprehension. Because let me ask you this. Do you have to fully understand something to trust it? Do you? Do you have to fully understand how it works before you trust God? 
except for the electrical engineers here with us this morning, how many of you can explain to me how electricity works? How do you explain how we get power from the power grids and how it's transmitted, I'm an electrical engineer, uh, transmitted through the transmission lines to get to our homes? Most of you probably cannot explain that to me. And yet, you trust that when you flip on a light switch, the light comes on because of electricity. How many of you, except for the medical doctors we have here, or professionals, do you really understand how the digestive process works? Do you? How do you understand, do you understand that when food goes into your mouth, how it's segregated and provides nutrition to your body? Do any of you understand that? And yet you eat, and you eat a lot without fully understanding how your digestive system works. From a pure spiritual perspective, you have to understand as Christians that you and I will not fully understand what God is doing in this world, and yet you can still continue to trust Him. We've forgotten that in our generation, and so we question God and we get mad at Him. Because somehow he has not explained to us what he's doing and he seems so silent. God's ways are often not understood and they are unexpected. Look at verses 6 to 11 with me. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, who marches, which marches through the breadth of the earth. To possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. What we see in these verses is that not only does God act in unexpected ways that we do not understand, but when those ways are perhaps revealed to us, they are quite strange and they are unconventional. You see, God told Habakkuk that he was going to deal with the sin problem in the land of Judah. He was going to deal with this moral, corrupt environment. But he was going to do so by raising up the Chaldeans, a people group who would become the fearsome Babylonians, who historically would conquer many nations, as verse 6 prophesied. In fact, verse 7 speaks of how feared they were by others because of their ruthlessness. Verse 8 speaks of their military might and the swiftness and ferocity in which they attacked. Verse 9 and 10 tells us they are a people who love violence, who laugh at those who stand in opposition to them. And it would be this ruthless nation that God would use to bring justice and judgment to Judah because their evil ways demanded it. What a shock it must have been to Habakkuk when he heard God's answer. How strange it must have been for him. Because the common thought of the day, especially amongst the righteous, was that God would never allow a foreign Gentile nation to capture and exile 
the people of God. The nation of Israel had stood for hundreds of years, and yes, they had sinned, and God had disciplined them, but they had never been exiled out of their land. They had forgotten that God had indeed warned that this was a very distinct possibility, but it was far from their thought. How strange it would have been for them to hear that God would deal with His children's sin by using a nation that was so fearsome. But look at verse 11, it gets even stranger. Then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this power to his God. The Bible tells us the Babylonian would quickly become the dominant empire in the ancient Near East and they would conquer all of Judah. But they would not go unchecked because God would hold them accountable and guilty because as verse 11 tells us, they trusted and worshipped another false god instead of the living God, Yahweh. Now listen, listen how strange this is. How strange and unconventional that God would raise up a power in the Babylonians, allow them to discipline His own people, and then only to discipline the discipliner because they trusted in other gods. But that's exactly what God was going to do. You see, what I want you to understand, number two, is this, and how God operates, number two. God's ways are often strange and unconventional. God's ways are often strange and unconventional. We all like to think that God has an SOP, a standard operating procedure. We all like to think that when God wants to bring someone to repentance, He always does it a certain way. But truth be told, if you look at the life stories of many people here in our church, you will see that there are no two stories that are the same. God uses a wide variety of methods to bring His prodigal children, His erring children, back to Him. We all like to think that God will bring back His prodigal children when He allows really bad things to happen to them. And they're at the pit of their life. And then they come to the realization that I need to turn back to God. But in reality, most all of you have come back to church. Not because God has brought you to the very bottom of the pit. When I hear your stories, it fascinates me. One who told me, they turned on the radio and heard an old gospel song they sang while they were a student at Grace. And that song reminded them of a spiritual decision they had made years ago, decades ago, and that song on the radio brought them back to church. Another tells me that it was because God blessed their family over and abundantly. And they believe that God blessed them so much to what He did not deserve that He was compelled to come back to the Lord. Now, I hope many of you I think many of you are desiring that sort of method. God, bless me with great overabundance that I would come in appreciation for what you've done. For some, God brought them to jail where they finally woke up. For others, life was going well, but there was an emptiness in their heart that could not be satisfied by the world's offers that they sought 
for that satisfaction of life in the Lord. And I can go on and on how God has used an adulterous spouse to bring them back to Christ. How God has used the death in the family, a loved one, a parent, a grandparent, a child, to bring them back to God. How God has used the failure of a business, the loss of a deal, to bring them back to the Lord. No two stories are the same. We may want to pick and choose the story that God wants, that we want God to write for us, but He doesn't allow us that choice. Romans 11, 33 and 34 says this, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Note this phrase. How unsearchable are His judgments. We do not know the ways He pours out His judgments. And His ways past finding out. Verse 34, Romans 11. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has become His counselor? Who gets to tell God what to do? The answer is no one has that right. You and I do not have the right to tell God what He has to do. His ways may be unique and strange and unconventional, but we have no right to question what God is sovereignly doing. So rest assured, my friends, that God is going to punish sin, and He's going to punish sinful people, That's for sure. That's very part of his character. He doesn't let anybody get away with anything. But we need to trust that although his ways are unconventional and unique and strange, the end result is always justified when it comes from God. Remember two years ago when I preached the series on the life of Jesus' birth narratives, the series entitled More Than a Manger, I mentioned that God used a very unique method to bring Mary and Joseph to go to Bethlehem so that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem in fulfillment of prophecy. And what did God use? Go back to Luke chapter 2. God used a census for taxation. So God used a new taxation system to get Mary and Joseph to go to Bethlehem to give birth to Jesus in fulfillment of prophecy. Now, if you told anyone else, if God had told anyone else that this was his plan, do you think anyone would have agreed? God, that's a wonderful plan. I agree. Bring on those taxes so that we can get Mary and Joseph to go to Bethlehem. If God would have told anyone else his plan to get Mary and Joseph out of Nazareth to Bethlehem, their hometown, you know what would happen? Every single person would complain. God... Why are you messing with my life? That concerns them, not me. God, how about a better plan? You send Gabriel. You did that before. Go send Gabriel. Have him appear before Mary and Joseph and tell them to go to Bethlehem. Why do you have to affect the entire Roman world with a census for taxes? You see, what we don't understand is we get a glimpse of how Mary and Joseph left Nazareth to go to Bethlehem because of this census that led to taxation. 
But we do not understand how God was working in the lives of other people who lived in this land and how that taxation and that census affected their lives. We simply don't. You see, we have such tunnel vision in our lives that we complain to God that He is not doing what we want Him to do. His ways are not conventional. And yet what we've forgotten is that we are responsible for our own lives. He is responsible for 7.8 billion people's lives in this world. And so here we are saying, Lord, please don't let it rain today. Because I've got a party. And we're worried about our party being rained on. When we've forgotten that there are people who depend on that rain for their very life. I hope you see my point here. We're so worried about ourselves that we've forgotten that the sovereign God who is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent has to deal with the problems in today's number 7.8 billion people. And we don't know that how God acts as He raises nations, as He selects leaders, how He is working Always, at all times, for the best of every single person, because his foundation upon his unconditional love is the sovereign wisdom of a God who does everything well and perfect, Romans 8.28. And all that works together when he decides whether to answer our prayers or not according to our will. And if you can understand how God does all of that, then maybe, maybe you can stand on equal footing with him. And suggest to him what he should do. But because we can't, you and I don't have a right. And however unique his methods, we accept it. So when God seemingly allows sin to go unpunished, think again. How he deals with sin may be unconventional and not known to us. It may be beyond our understanding, even strange to us. But he will deal with it. Now you may ask me, Pastor, this was how God dealt in the time of Habakkuk. What's the practical implication today? The practical implication is this. It was not only unique in Habakkuk's time. It is how God deals with us presently. You see, when God had to deal with the sins of the entire world, and how He had to deal with our own sin problem, God used the very same method. You see, God used the method that was highly unexpected and not understood by most. When God sent His only sinless Son to die in our place. That's why when Jesus came on earth, almost no one, not even His most intimate disciples, understood and believed Jesus when Jesus said He would have to die so that mankind would be saved. Isn't that what Jesus said to his disciples? You would not understand. You will not believe even if I told you. Those words are echoed in the book of Habakkuk. You would not understand even if I told you. God employed a very strange and unconventional, unique method to save us. And that he would use the second 
person of the Godhead to be incarnate and become human and yet never stopping to become God and the person of Jesus Christ to die in our behalf. It's so strange that God would allow His own Son, the one who is worshipped for all eternity in heaven, to die on a cross beside two common criminals. Oh, but we've heard that story so often. It's as if it's natural. Of course, God sent His Son. Let me ask you this. If you had a very good friend who was in trouble, a really good friend who was in trouble, and he was, I don't know, sentenced to die, would any of you with children offer your child to die in your friend's place? Anyone? Some of you are thinking, well, maybe my rebellious teenager, I would offer him. You may think that, but you would never do that. You'd never do that. You may be really close to someone as a friend, almost like a brother, but none of you would ever give up of your own child to die for someone else. Especially someone who didn't do anything wrong. So how is it that we think it's so commonplace, God had to do it to send His Son It boggles the human mind to think that God would send the sinless Son of God, His own child, to die for people who deserve it. Do you complain about that unconventional act? Of course not. But because we know the story so well, we have forgotten how unexpected, how beyond comprehension, how unconventional, and how uniquely strange was the only way by which God can save mankind. And perhaps this Holy Week, you can begin to meditate that it is not normal for God to have done that. But God wanted to deal with us in a way that we do not deserve. But He could have. Did you ever think about this? If God were to deal with us as we want God to deal with others, then we would get everything we deserve because that's only fair. Careful what you wish for. Because if you want God to treat all evildoers, which we all are, in a very conventional way, in a way that they deserve, it's real easy for God. He just punishes us every time we sin. He takes the life of one who's rebellious and who will not change. He takes the life of an evildoer. And I've said that before. If God were to deal with us in a very conventional, logical way, in what we deserve, you and I would not live past the age of 18. I wonder if any of us would live past the age of 10. Because if we got from God everything we deserve, you and I would not be walking on this earth today. How at that moment if Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate the fruit, the human race should have ended right there. So instead of complaining to God that His ways are unconventional and unique and we want Him to work with an SOP that bad people has bad things happening to them, especially if they hurt me, His beloved child, we should think again because we should be really praising God that His ways are beyond expectation. 
beyond our own comprehension, strange and illogical and unconventional, because it is through that method that we are saved by Jesus Christ. I'm sure Habakkuk was shocked, as I hope many of you are when we read this. Because instead of complaining how God doesn't seem to deal with sin, let's praise Him that we don't understand how He does things judiciously. Because in the very same way, you and I are the recipients of eternal life through this very same method. My friends, don't put God in a box. Don't tell Him what He has to do. Don't tell Him how you expect Him to act or you're going to get angry and stop walking with Him. The God who treated you with such an unconventional love, with a love that is beyond comprehension, an unconditional love, looked at our lives, looked at each one of us and said, you don't deserve what you deserve. And you will not believe it, even I were to tell you. But I've sent my son, Jesus Christ, my only begotten son, who's never done anything wrong in his life. He who knew no sin, he would take on your sin and my sin. And he would die in the most cruel of way. He would walk the path of suffering so that you don't have to walk it and I don't have to walk it. Do you understand that that is how I'm going to treat you? And if you can just stand back and be blown away, Instead of complaining, thanking God that His ways are not our ways, that we do not understand what He's doing, but we trust in a God whose actions are always foundationed upon His love for us, then I think we will begin to see that the death and resurrection of Christ is a story that is not a story of the past. It is a very present story that should challenge and transform our lives every single day we live it. It is because He lives that we can face tomorrow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for Your Word, we thank You. It's a good reminder for all of us, including me, who wants to put you in a box and tell you what to do and what you have to do, to remind and humble me to say, I have no right I don't have to understand, I just have to accept. I don't have to understand, I just have to submit. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would challenge us as we remind ourselves, especially this week, that we are the recipients of something we cannot fully understand. And that's why it's called grace. We don't deserve it, and yet we have it. May the unsearchable desire to look upon the grace through the cross be that which excites us and challenges us to live our lives for you until the day we see you again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.